Welcome to the podcast of Grace Community Bible Church. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged, and inspired by this message. For other sermons or more information, visit us at gracebiblechurch.org.au. In ancient rhetoric, the, uh, the great orators and in the, in the skills of public speech and public communication knew about the rule of three, or what is sometimes called in rhetoric, triads. It's amazing how many things in public communication come in sets of three. Somehow, three things together just works for the human ear. Uh, You know what Aussies say when they're uh, cheering on a crowd at a sports match? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. (laughs) Three. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah. Like two is not enough and four is too many, but somehow three just works. What's the uh, golden rule of real estate? Location, location, location. Or again, if, we, uh, if we're uh, behaving as good Aussies and putting on our sunscreen, what is it? Slip, slop, slap. Julius Caesar famously said, I came, I saw, I conquered. The great catch cry of the French Revolution, liberty, equality, fraternity. What's the definition of democracy? Rule of the people, by the people, for the people. It's unbelievable, isn't it, how many triads there are. I guess the ultimate triad is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Triads just work, which, which may be maybe why there are so many three-point sermons. <laughs> There'll be one this morning. Paul also had a favourite triad. And it seems Paul's favourite triad is the one that we have here at the end of this chapter, faith, hope, and love. In fact, he uses that triad about eight times in his writings. Let me give you just a couple of other examples. At the beginning of Thessalonians, he says to that church, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or in the same letter, in uh, chapter 5, verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians, he says this, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I think Paul uses these three words again and again and again because they take us to the very heart of Christianity. If any of you here this morning are not Christians, but maybe you're maybe you've come along with a friend or maybe you're checking out church or thinking about what Christianity is, these three words are a brilliant summary of the Christian faith. You'll never find a shorter, sharper, clearer distillation of the very essence of what Christianity is all about. And if you're 
a Christian here this morning, and many of you, of course, are, I think these three words are a wonderful reminder of what the Christian faith is all about. And to be honest, we need that reminder. We need constantly be reminded what the very heart of Christianity is because very easily we start to make it about other things. And that was the problem in the church in Corinth. The, the Corinthian church to whom Paul's writing were making it about spiritual gifts. That, that had become their big thing. In particular, the gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. That was their triad. Prophecy, tongues, and knowledge. In other words, they were at risk of making the heart of Christianity about what we do. It's a risk. We make it about our performance, our spirituality, our gifts. But the heart of Christianity is never your spiritual performance. The heart of Christianity is never your giftedness or how much you're serving or how active you are. That is simply a response to Christianity. That's not the heart of it. Now, for the Corinthians, when they had that unhelpful focus on spiritual gifts so that the focus was on them and their spirituality, they were at risk of something else. And that is, you start to make Christianity about people. And, and the Corinthian church was divided over people. Right at the beginning of this letter, Paul articulates it. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Some, I follow Apollos. Some, I follow Cephas, Peter. Just happens to be another triad. <laughs> You'll find them everywhere, I'm afraid, this morning. Uh, they were following their favorite leaders. And it's, it's, again, another risk. It's so easy that we make the very heart of Christianity about people, our favorite organizations, our favorite people, our favorite ministries. I follow Piper. I follow Keller. Oh, no, I follow MacArthur. But, you know, the heart of Christianity is never about people, no matter how Wonderfully, the Lord has used them. It's never about organizations. It's not about denominations. Paul rightly pulls the Corinthians and the Holy Spirit through his words, pulls us back to what Christianity is really about. Faith, hope, and love. First of all, the gospel, the Christian message is fundamentally about faith. The great distinctive of Christianity is the belief that we are saved by faith alone. We're not saved by our deeds, our good works, our effort, our prayer life, our church attendance, our holiness our obedience, our niceness. We're saved by faith in Christ alone. Now theologians uh, identify three elements of true faith. Uh, I hate to say it, but it's another triad. <laughs> true faith, the theologians uh, teach us, consists of knowledge Assent and trust. Knowledge, assent and trust. Suppose someone uh, gives me, as a gift, a beautiful chair. Now, I, this has never happened, okay? So I'm, I've never received a beautiful chair as a gift. But suppose. And imagine they, they come to me with this chair and, 
And they say this is actually an absolutely magnificent chair. It's old. It's an antique. It's uh, been, been crafted in Italy by a, a most skilled furniture maker in the 17th century. And it's made of beautiful oak and the finest Italian leather. And they describe to me this gift that they're giving me. They describe its history and its value. It's an extremely precious chair. Well, at that point, I know something about it. <laughs> but do I believe it? It could be a scam. This could be a, a very recent rip-off by someone else. And even if it's true, and I believe that what they've said about this is true, I have to actually believe that they are giving it to me and that I, I am receiving this incredibly precious gift. And if I do believe that, if I know that what they've told me about that chair is true, and if I actually am convinced that that's correct and that they're giving it to me, then there's one more thing I have to do. I have to take it. I have to receive the gift. I'll take that chair home and I'll sit in it. I'll value it, I'll treasure it, and I'll rest in it. And that's really what we're doing with Jesus Christ. <laughs> we first of all must know things about him. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is built on historic facts and there's stuff we have to know about Jesus and about the gospel. Uh, Christianity is built on knowledge of God's word of what the scriptures teach about Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his ascension, his reign in glory now. Scripture teaches us so much about Jesus. It teaches about his two natures, his divine and his human nature. It teaches us about his two states, his state of humiliation and his state of exaltation. It teaches us about his work of redemption coming as the sacrifice lamb, being offered in our place, our substitute, so that we might live and not die. This is knowledge that we must have if we are to have faith in the Lord Jesus. There's no virtue in ignorance. Study the Bible. Read good books. Study theology. Think deeply because you've got to know the truth in order to believe it. But of course, there's the risk that we know a lot of stuff, but we're not actually persuaded by it. We're not convinced of it. What we know, we must believe with all our heart. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us, isn't it? That he, he convinces us that this is the truth. He persuades us internally that what we read in God's word is indeed true. And so then with knowledge and with assent to that truth, with, with conviction, we then rest. It's, it's like we take that chair and we sit in it. We rest in Christ. We put all our weight and trust in him. Knowledge, assent, and trust. We trust that we've been saved by the work of Jesus alone. We trust that God forgives us because of who he is and what he has done for us. We trust and believe that God fully accepts us.
no matter what we've done, no matter who we are, no matter what our performance like is like in life, even in the past or now, that we are fully reconciled to God because of who Jesus is and what he has done. And you know, that makes Christianity utterly unique. The world's religions always put good works as the key thing. Saying prayers, living a holy life, doing good to others, giving alms, making pilgrimage, fasting. Other religions always center on good works that make us right or acceptable to God. And it's actually not just other religions that always put the emphasis on us and what we're doing. That's actually how secularism works. It's how secular Australia operates. Our culture teaches us that it's, it's all up to you. you. You've got to be yourself. Be true to yourself. Find yourself. Create your own identity. You see, ours is a culture of faith, and it's faith in you. Believe in yourself. That's the most important thing. Uh, the, the pop singer Taylor Swift was recently awarded an honorary doctorate by New York University. Now, I won't comment on the merit of her getting a doctorate. That's kind of another issue. But at, when she received the doc, doctorate and made the commencement speech, she, uh, she spoke to all those who were uh, graduating. And she actually made a, a very well-crafted and compelling speech. And towards the end of her speech, she, she said this. To, to those graduating from NYU, now you leave the structure and framework of school and chart your own path. Every choice you make leads to the next choice, which leads to the next. And I know it's hard to know sometimes which path to take. And she maps that for a bit. And then she, she says, how will you know what the right choice is in these crucial moments? You won't, she says. And then she goes on to say, scary news is you're on your own now. Cool news is you're on your own now. And that's actually the face of our age, isn't it? This is the scary and the cool thing. You're on your own. Chart your own course. Find your own way. Just be true to yourself. But Christianity heads in completely the opposite direction. It says, you're not on your own. There is a God. And he knows you and he loves you and he can save you. And it also says, it's not up to you. It's not up to you. The answer is not inside you, the Bible says. And I think that is such a mercy 
C.S. Lewis, the great Oxford English professor, spoke of what he found in himself the first time he really examined his own heart. Listen to what he said. For the first time I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose, and there I found what appalled me, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. My name was Legion. You hear what he's saying? He looks inside himself honestly and he finds all this filthy stuff and fearful stuff and messy stuff and wrong stuff. And I put it to you that if we search deeply inside, we'll find the same. Do you really want the message of your life to be believe in yourself? Look inside to find the answers. The message of Christianity is that actually there's no real future if the answer is within us. And actually there's, there's no great future if our hope is in what other human beings are doing because they're just as flawed as we are. Faith in the education system, faith in the health system, faith in the economy, well, I think you leave you disappointed again and again. Now, these things can alleviate some human problems for some people some of the time, but the human condition requires far more than systems and organisations and politicians can ever deliver. Only Jesus can deal with the deepest needs of our heart. Only he can deal with our deep need of forgiveness. Only he can make us right with God. Only he can actually give us a new heart and give us the promise of eternal life. Friends, this is right at the very heart of what the Christian gospel is all about. All these good things are ours by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Oh, well, you can see why Paul begins his triad with that word, faith. And that word actually leads to the second word, in his triad. The second thing that's right at the very heart of Christianity is hope. Now, th this is an interesting one, I, I think. I, I completely understood why faith made the cut for the top three. It kind of had to, didn't it? We've just seen why. It's right at the very heart of what the gospel is. And I absolutely get why love makes the cut. Uh, we'll see that in a minute. Love is so much at the heart of who God is and what the gospel is all about. But what about hope? Would you have put that in there if you were asked to come up with the top three words to summarize Christianity? Would you have put hope in there? I might have gone for joy. Or peace. You might have gone for grace. Or community. 
or Bible or church. You might have wanted all four. Now, that would be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? But, you know, I think it's a brilliant inclusion that Paul says the second great distinctive of Christianity is hope. It's brilliant because it's both what people need and exactly what the gospel gives. People need hope. I saw a woman on the news recently and she was absolutely distraught. She had just pretty well lost everything financially through the collapse of a construction firm. She she was wrecked. She she said, I've I've lost everything. I've lost all my life savings. She, She was in tears and distraught. She felt hopeless because all her financial security was gone. I spoke with a young man a little while ago who, who was in a marriage relationship that wasn't going well. And he really just wanted to sign out. He wanted to bail. And I had to try and give him hope that it was worth hanging in there, hope that things could improve. Because without hope, we give up. Many people today feel utterly hopeless as they look at our globe. They, they, they look at climate change and global politics, and world economics. And people are desperate for policies or leaders or governments that will give some hope that these things can be dealt with. Without hope, we do and say shocking things. Without hope, we are desperate. And the wonderful thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is what it gives us is hope. Not a vain hope, not just wishful thinking, but solid hope founded on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You see, it works like this. If the bottom does fall out of your finances, you might feel very desperate and very, very distressed. But as a Christian, you still have hope because you know that your financial troubles are at worst only for this life. And after that, you will enter into eternal riches, wealth and provision beyond compare. You have hope, even if you struggle now. In the face of personal failure, You might feel awful. You might feel great shame. You might suffer greatly because of your sin. And yet you still ultimately have hope because God forgives you even if other people don't. When people fail us and hurt us, we still have hope because we know that God loves us no matter what. In the face of death, we grieve greatly, but we have hope because we know that death is not the end 
And it can actually be a beautiful thing to witness a Christian believer facing death with great hope in Christ. And even as we face global situations of real concern, we we do not face them without hope. We know that God rules all things. And there are God-ordained limits to war and to ecological disasters and to famine and and God-ordained limits to anti-Christian hostility. And even if the world should come to an end through these means under God's sovereign hand, what then? A new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. And all our dark fears, Christians are people of ultimate hope. And our ultimate hope is rooted in this. In the very darkest hour of human history, when the Son of God was murdered by sinful men, in that very hour, hope dawned. There in Jesus' death, sin was paid for. Death was defeated. Eternal life was secured for all who believe in him. Christian hope is surety about the future, no matter what. I say it's surety about the future, no matter what, which means in the intermediate period, things might still be really hard. We might remain poor. We might never see the family dynamics well healed. We might witness more war or more economic distress. But we have a hope that is beyond this world and beyond all these things. The hope of heaven. The hope of glory. And so if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are never completely without hope. Oh, things might be hard, but they're not hopeless. Paul says some wonderful things at the end of Romans 15. Listen to this blessing that he gives there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that lovely? The God of hope making you overflow with hope because of Jesus Christ. Faith, hope, isn't it good that that made the cut in the top three? And then, of course, the one that Paul calls the greatest of all, love. Right at the very heart of the Christian gospel is the message of love. The Bible declares God is love. One of the most famous verses of the Bible is John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The two greatest commandments of Scripture, summary of the moral law, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Love 
when Jesus summarizes the whole law, he says this is right at the very essence of what the entire teaching of Scripture is about. Jesus said to his disciples, by this will all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Our world constantly talks about love, doesn't it? Songs about love, poems about love, movies about love, novels about love. It's as though our world is obsessed with love. (laughs) And that's understandable. God has wired love into our hearts. He is the God of love. He made us in his own image. We're made to love and to be loved. We long to be loved and we long to love something. But what is love? We'll have a look at verses 4 to 8 of this chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It's very clear, as Paul writes there, that love is not a feeling. This is not sentimental. It's not romantic. It's not sexual. This love doesn't need chocolates and flowers. Nothing wrong with chocolates and flowers, but this is love that doesn't need it. You don't have to be young and pretty to have this love. Real love is goodness in action. It's goodness in action. It's not so much something we feel as something we do. Love is being patient with that person who drives you crazy. Love is not brooding over the way that that person hurt you and holding on and clinging on to that because love keeps no record of wrongs. Love is acting kindly toward that person who gossiped about you. Love is persevering in that relationship even though it would be far easier to sign out. But who of us actually loves like that? We'd be hard-pressed to look at verses 4 to 8 and substitute our name for the word love. Give it a go. I find it hard to do and keep a straight face. Murray is patient and kind. (laughs) Murray does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. It gets really hard to keep this up. (laughs) It does not sound like the Murray I know. It's the Murray I'd like to know. But who of us lives up to this kind of love? And so we are driven back to Jesus Christ. God is love. We could put Jesus' name in there and we would not have to Try and keep a straight face. Jesus is patient. 
and he is kind. And he doesn't envy and he doesn't boast. And he was in no way arrogant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He's not remotely rude. Jesus never insisted on his own way. He gave up his own way in order to save us. Do you ever read of Jesus as irritable and resentful? He does not rejoice in wrongdoing. He bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus' love never ends. The plan of the gospel is that as we soak in the love of Jesus, we are transformed by it. As we experience his unbelievable love for us, his love shapes our hearts. If I, um, if I water my pot plants rather excessively, <laughs> then the water wells up and overflows and goes into the dish and then onto the table and down onto the floor. I know I've overdone it at that point. But it naturally, when it's filled to the full, it overflows. And God's desire is that he would fill your heart with his love so full that it overflows and begins to lap into the lives of all the people around you. And it's one of the remarkable things about the gospel. The more you focus on Jesus, the more you get to know him, the more you dwell on him and who, who he is and what he's done for you, the more you find actually you're becoming a more loving person. You, you start to find you're actually more generous than you really wanted to be. Bother. <laughs> but somehow the love of Christ has made me a more generous person. You start to find that you're you're more forgiving. Like part of you just wants to hold that grudge and be as nasty as possible. And, but, but the love of Christ has, has been filling your heart and so you begin to forgive more. And you're more gentle than you used to be and you're more patient than you used to be. How come? Not because you've been trying really hard or you're trying to earn your way to heaven, but because the love of Jesus Christ has filled your heart and it's begun to transform you. If you want to know real love, go to Jesus Christ again and again and again. And if you want to become a more loving person, go to Jesus Christ again and again. He is the root and the fruit of true love. So here it is, the great triad. Faith, hope, and love. And Paul says, and we'll just finish by looking at, at how he frames the rest of this verse. He says, Faith, hope, and love abide, these three. He says, So now, now at the end of this argument, now at the end of this discussion about what really matters and what is most important, now here's the bottom line. Corinthians, not tongues, prophecy, and knowledge. No, the biggies are faith, hope, and love. These three abide. Now, there's various ways that you can interpret that, and commentators go different, 
directions, but I think the, the, the best way is simply to see that Paul is saying these three are eternal. These three last forever. He said back in verse 8 that prophecies will pass away, tongues will cease, knowledge will pass away, but faith, hope and love are eternal. Uh, of course, our faith will become sight. One day we'll, we'll see all the things that we currently have faith in. But when our faith becomes sight, oh, we'll, we'll have more absolute confidence and trust in God than ever before. When we see him face to face, we will trust him completely and totally forever. And one day our hope, what we hope for now, will be realised. But we will remain a people of hope forever. There is, of course, a place of eternal despair. But that is not the destiny of those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. Our hope will be strong forever once we've entered into the beauty and the perfection of eternal glory. Never again will anything ever feel hopeless. How good will that be? And there forever we will be engulfed in the love of God. Love never ends. Never again will there be a broken relationship. Never again a harsh word. Never again a cruel action. No more war. No more slavery. No more oppression. No more abuse. When we see the love of God, That love will fill us and surround us forever. That is indeed the greatest thing, isn't it? Faith and hope actually flow out of the amazing love that God has given us in Christ. People are longing for these three things. I dare say you are longing for these three things. You long for something to really believe in. You long to live with real hope. You long to know real love. And these great desires of our hearts are fully satisfied in Jesus Christ alone. Keep on believing in him. Don't believe in yourself. Believe in Jesus Christ. Keep on hoping because hope will not disappoint. And keep on loving because the love of God has changed your life. Shall we pray? We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us from your word this morning these three wonderful virtues, these these three truths that are right at the heart of the gospel. But we don't want to just know this. We want to believe it and trust in it and be absolutely convinced of it. Make each one of us here, a man, a woman, a, a, a 
child of faith. Make us people of hope and fill our hearts with your love. And We pray that these three things would completely change the way that we think and operate day by day, believing in you, hoping for all that you have in store and showing your love to others. May this be to your great glory. Amen.